Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk Recorded live. On this wonderful evening in Coolidge, Arizona, this is January the 9th, 2014, and we return to our studies in Revelation. Uh, in part two, we are in lesson number eight, and that's a study of chapter five, and we'll cover a few verses of chapter five tonight if uh, all goes well. And can anyone, does anyone have a feeling, uh, we're not competing, but for chapter four, is there anything that was impressive in chapter four that has stayed with you? All right. The, the, did you say the glory and the majesty of the throne? The recognition of what? The recognition of the throne. So in in heaven there was honor toward the throne of those who were there. And uh, who got to see a glimpse of that? John. John. Now, okay. Any anyone else want to? What I remember is learning about is is work, working on and learning about the clarity of the symbols. All right, all right. Like the lamps. Yep. All right. Good. Speaking of clarity. And by the way, that'll come up again well, um, uh, along the way here, and so we we want to clarify. That's good. Anybody else that have anything to add? Okay, let's go to chapter five, verse one. I saw. Well, you probably want to know what he saw, right? <laughs> or shall we just stop there? Um, obviously, uh, I don't know that God has a literal right hand. Since God is not a flesh and blood, um, don't know that he... So these are what? These are... Yeah, just just symbolic of trying to get something that can't be described, described in a way that we can get understood. Paul, remember, Paul went in, had a glimpse of things that he said that, that they are inexpressible. Remember that? In the epistle? Things I saw, if it indeed was Paul, um, but they were inexpressible. There was no way to put them into human language. So here John is putting what he saw into human language. 
That's what language is for, is to convey ideas. So there's an idea going on, and he's conveying it to us through these symbols. In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, he saw something in his right hand, operative hand, Is that why he uses right instead of just a hand, or why why not the left hand, or or because the throne uh, uh, Christ is at the right hand of the throne, and these these, these things are are used over and over. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think that's why um, we have to look at it from how we look at our right hand. Now, now, we realize that there are left-handed clams. Now, I know that <clears throat> Greg is one happy clam tonight. I don't know whether he's left or right-handed, but he is a happy clam. He got an A today. He got an A delivered to him in email. You know why? Why? Because he called me a name. He did not like my driving. <laughs> and so he wrote to me a story about a man in Second Kings, somewhere in Second Kings, maybe eight or nine. Yeah, about O.G. who, who drove how? Furiously. Furiously. You know, I was a little confused. I thought at first you were talking about the, the driver's reference in Job 39.7 where it says, uh, Shoutings of the driver he did not hear. And I figured folks were going by you shaking their fist. <laughs> <laughs> but you referenced the other one with driving furiously to get home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I try to drive, you know, if I don't feel really good or, you know, I can't see clear or my hearing is gone, I always like to take the advice of Second Kings and drive like Jehu. Because the, the, the worse you are, the worse your condition, the faster you want to drive. You don't want to be an endangerment to people in that, a longer period any, of time. For a long period of time. I'm following your reasons. You, you're, you're following that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so we're going to have a good time in Revelation now, yeah. aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the, yeah, the right hand, you know, we think of our, most people, and we realize there are uh, left-handed creatures. Um and, you know, I, I, the empire clams are huge, five-pound clams. We used to go out and dig them. I don't know that they do anymore. I, I, I suppose they do in very, very low tide. And they're huge. And every once in a while, you'd find one that was, you know, hinged, the opposite. The, we call it a left-handed hinge. But um, oysters are also, you get a few, once in a while, you find a left-handed oyster shell. You know they're they're hens, and we go out and eat pick oysters and and um, have a big oyster big pot, you know, with uh, uh, what you call noodles, you know, noodles and oysters. But right off of the right out of the ocean, you know, oh, it's good. Oh man, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I think we ought to close this down and go home. But anyway, most things are so. The average most most people are right-handed, and there's a probably a, a reason for that. And so that term is used here. Uh, it, it's the hand that we initiate 
It's the working, the leading, the lead hand in most cases. And so here you have that in the right hand of him. And it's in that right hand of him who's where? On the throne. He's sitting on the throne, meaning that he has settled. He settled. Everything from his perspective is in control. And he's got what in his right hand? And this book um, uh, has some writing on it. And how full is it of writing? Inside and on the back. Inside and on the outside. Front side and back side. However you want to find a book, this has got this is covered. So it means it's full and then it's been sealed with seven seals. There's speculation about what those are. We don't need that at this point because we're we're going to be seeing them open here pretty soon. We'll spend a little bit more time on that then in the next chapter. But here we're trying to develop a picture like we did in chapter 4. We need to get a picture that never leaves us of the image of God on that throne. But the throne and the throne room and the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are around that, uh, that picture uh, of his glory, we need to get established in our minds that never leaves. Now, we're, we're introduced to uh, the book in the right hand of the one who is settled on his throne. And this book is covered with writing we might add that there's no more room to write, so there's nothing else that needs to be written because it covers everything that needs to be done or that's going to happen. And it's been sealed. No more writing. Now, we know the story from Daniel, and we'll go back to Daniel if we get time a little bit later. And I saw a strong angel. You know, it doesn't take much to bind Satan. If you know about what goes on in the latter part of this book of Revelation, you you know, to bind Satan, all God had to do was to send an angel. There was never any trick in binding Satan, getting him bound. It just took an angel. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that more. There's a little bit of suspense there we want to build into that. But here's a strong angel. And he is proclaiming with a loud voice. But even though this messenger, Angelos, is strong capable, has a lot of strength. And even though with that strength he had a loud, resonant, demanding voice, he wasn't qualified. You see my notes in verse 2, I've got strength doesn't always qualify. Even if it's accompanied with a loud voice. 
So he asked a question, though. Rather than opening the book, he asked the question, who is worthy? So it isn't a matter of strength or of loudness, domination, but it's a matter of worthiness. I like that. Who is worthy to open the book to break its seals? So we're going to look for somebody who is worthy. And that's going to introduce to us a new person in this chapter. So there is something about the content of this book. Something about the content that's involved in this book that we have to pay a special attention to. Let's go back to Daniel. I don't want to get too... I'd like to finish this session tonight if we can. We've been a while. The more I think about it, the more I realize that I don't think, I don't think we're going to get done with Revelation between now and May. or possibly in my lifetime. But we've waited a long time to get here, and we've done a lot of background study. We don't want to hurry through, because there's more to understanding this than just getting the words. It has to have an impact. We have to see the picture. Okay, uh, um, Daniel. I'm going to pick and choose here just a little bit. In chapter 9 and verse 27, we've spent time, how long has it been? Maybe three or four years ago, we, we spent quite a bit of time in verses 24 on of the 70 weeks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's background to where we are in Daniel and then in Revelation. But notice in verse 27, and then we want to go right over to chapter 12. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate Even a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Altogether, that's referring to what event? Jerusalem. The fall of Jerusalem. Isn't that clear? And, of course, that's going to be the end of the 70 weeks. Because if, we're having, if we have not gone through today, through the 70 weeks, then there's still no forgiveness because that was contingent on the 70 weeks being completed. So all of those who are saying there's a gap in here have just done what with their salvation? They've put it on hold. Let's go to chapter 12. So the book here is written about the last days 
not of the world, but the last days of the Jewish economy, of the covenant of national Israel. And I like to always make that distinction because we're not against the nation of Israel one way or the other. We're just, uh, we want to clarify that they are not the covenant people. The church is the covenant people today, those who are a part of the kingdom. That's a hard thing to get through. So in chapter 12, in verse 1, Now at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of Whose people? Daniel. Daniel's people. And they were Ethiopians? Jewish people. Jewish people. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is written, found written in the book, will be rescued. Now, isn't that read? Virtually just like Mark 13? Yeah. It's, it's, Jesus virtually repeated this, quoted it. Now keep that in mind. We go on. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will wake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Talking about those things that were going to happen to what people? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, open the book, break the seals. All right, now what has Daniel just, what, has, what, what is Daniel from chapter 9 and now chapter 12? Kind of, I know we're hitting and missing, but for the sake of review here, what has he been writing? The history of what people? The Jewish people, including the 70 weeks, and their end as a covenant people. Now, you conceal these words, that's what Daniel is told, and seal up the book until the end of time to what people? Daniel's people. Daniel's people. Many who will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, uh, if you don't have these references in your notes, that should be uh, uh, in there in in verse 2. And now... Let's go down to verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time and times and half a time and as soon as they had finished shattering and as soon as, as soon as, as soon as they finished shattering the power of the Holy People, all, all, well, maybe not all. All these events will be what? Completed. 
Folks, that should be the end of the argument. That the completion of all of these events is continuing con- contingent on what happening to what people? Jewish people. The Jewish people and their power shattered. Revelation then steps up here and we're going to have the seals of that book open. And a week that you weren't here, we looked at, Dan, um, uh, not Daniel, but uh, Deuteronomy and the seven curses. Revelation is the fulfillment of those seven curses based on the unfaithfulness of Israel. First also reminds me of Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. The completion. Absolutely. Talking about the end of the same event. The same events. Well, and Luke, and and you know, and just so that we have it on record here, um, and we're we're dealing with Luke on Sunday mornings. Um, <clears throat> Luke chapter 21 and verse 22, because these are days of vengeance. Well, what what days of vengeance? Well, when you see Jerusalem in verse 20, surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation, desolation, oh, desolation? Isn't that what Daniel was just talking about? And in chapter 9, on the 70 weeks, and here we have the same idea, is near, then those who are in Judea must flee and and on because, verse 22, these are days of vengeance. And this is what John the Baptist said to those Pharisees who came to him to be baptized. Who is warning you to flee from the potluck dinner to come? Coming wrath. The coming wrath. That's what was prophesied by Malachi. When Malachi talks about the forerunner of Jesus, he skips the entire ministry of Jesus and goes from John the Baptist all the way to the end of the Jewish people. He doesn't deal with Jesus and his ministry. Book of Malachi. Wait for the forerunner. And then he goes from there clear to the end of the Jewish age. And so when they came to John to be baptized, he said, who's warning you dudes who look so royal? But who's warning you to flee from the coming wrath? So here he says, these are those days of vengeance, and I'm adding that John the Baptist was talking about, that he talked about in harmony with what Malachi predicted. So that all things which are written will be fulfilled. You just cannot read that verse enough. So we're seeing here the development in Revelation chapter 5. In this book, we're going to see then all of those events that are contained and soon to happen. 
that are talked about in Luke and Daniel and Malachi. In in Matthew 23, the seven woes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and the seven uh, curses made to Israel in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 28. All of those things come together and Revelation, this book is the commentary on all of those events or on that event and how it transpires. There are some things that take place that will remain in place that come out of the boundaries, but that's not what we're concerned with right now. So who is worthy? Who is worthy? We want to know what's in this book. We want to know what's written in this book. We can't get into it. It's in the hand, the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. He will not let just any guy come along and open this book that contains what Daniel had sealed up. Now it's time to open that book, and we know who it's talking about now. It's not talking about the world at large. It's going to be talking about what? Jewish people. The people about whom Daniel was writing. John isn't writing into that book. That book's already been written. Now it's time for him to see that it's going to be opened. And he is conveying to us the anticipation and the hope of seeing what's in the book. But we have to find somebody worthy. And verse 3 says we've got a problem. Why, no one in heaven. No one in heaven. No one in heaven. And no, or on the earth. Or under the earth. You Can you give me that the Greek in that verse right there? No, you're you're right there. Um, Look at the word uh, udais, the second word there in the first. It's an adjective. It is an adjective. And um, now, now I want you to go and see if you can get me a definition of three, seven, six, two. See, that's not how it's translated. Okay. That's all. I just needed to clarify that my thinking was right. It just says here in our text, and no one, which is obviously true, but the word is really no man. No man. in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. And that caused John a problem. See, we read this so quickly, we don't pick up what John is feeling when he knows what's in that book and the people about whom this book is written. He knows that. And now they want it opened. They can't find anyone to find to open the book. 
And what happens to John in verse 4? He breaks down. Because his mind had been opened by Jesus to understand the scriptures. He understood what book he was looking at. He understood the book that he was looking at. Yeah. So that's, I mean, why else would he weep? Oh, yeah. Because it wasn't just curiosity. No. No, good, good point. I don't, I see no wonder why he weeps. He weeps first that there is no one found worthy to open the book or to look at it and, uh, you know, in how he was viewing it from his perspective. And one of the elders said to me, and you see he's writing, he's writing a lot of this in first person, isn't he? Yeah. I saw, I saw, I wept. And one of the elders said to me, one of the elders spoke up, stop weeping. Tanya would have said, get a grip. But he was shaken because he knew what was in this book to some extent. He knew about the book that had been sealed. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So what it took was a man who had overcome. And here is his human lineage. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah. I've got some scripture references here that you can look up, and we may if we have time. But we've got another verse, and I want to finish it. You can pursue it if you want to. some of the verses uh, you may not find relevant, but there is a verse that I want to deal with because it's got some theological problems to it, but let's not go there yet. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion. Do you have a clue who that might be? The lion from the tribe of Judah? Who has his roots in David? The anointed one. He has overcome. That qualifies him to open the book and its seven seals. So we have to then come to a conclusion, I think reasonably so, that whoever it is who dares to step forward to open this book is going to be involved in the destiny of the people involved. You get that? And so in this vision, we are being introduced to the Lamb. The Lamb on one hand, and the Lion from the tribe of Judah on the other hand, but from the very root of David. And that is an interesting study in itself. It has overcome. He has overcome. He's been victorious. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And so therefore in Matthew 28, 18, which you might write in there if you want to, um, he says, 
a, a little bit of authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, but not enough to really bother you at all. Right? Is that what it says? I think it's Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, isn't it? Where he did, does, isn't that what it says? And what does it say? Authority. Has oh, all authority. All authority. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So all the authority that he gets. Oh, oh, oh okay. You're you're saying that it's all authority has been given to whom? Lamb in this case. Me. Me. Yeah. Which means then that he didn't have it to begin with if what he was getting had to be given to him, right? He didn't have it before, did he? He had to be given it, had to have it given to him. Do you see where we're going with that? Yeah. See, we? There's a timeline. There, there's a timeline. And you have to remember uh, that all of the Bible must be in agreement. It would what? It did not happen while he was in the manger. Oh, it did not happen. And it wasn't just given to him. He had to overcome it to do something. Uh, that, oh, good. You got that together, see? All the Bible. You put it, got to put it all together. And this, this is the great confirmation that um, um, all authority has been given to me is that when he was here as a man, he was here as a man and that the authority that he had had been given to him by his father, he did not have that inherent. Not inherently. And now he is the overcome. He is the overcomer. So he has all authority over what happens in this book. And verse 6, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures. Thank you for the coffee. Did I feel somebody pour a little bit here? Was that you? I felt your parousia. (laughs) Your presence. And I, I saw between the throne, I saw, first person, I saw between the throne and the elders, a lamb. And uh, this lamb is standing. Go, slip down to verse uh, 9. And let's, uh, I think it's verse 9. Yeah. See, there, that's uh, worthy are you to take the book. And I realize this is getting ahead of ourselves here, but worth, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from the white tribe And English speaking, 
Now, you, I'm going to make you mad on this one, so be patient with me now. I want to see you fly off. and I, You know, I want you to really be naughty because then I'll have a reason to come back Sunday, bring you to repentance. You know, if nobody's naughty, we don't need to be in church, do we? You're so, trying to tell me that this stuff is for, uh, for foreigners, too, is it? Oh, no. I just ain't buying it. You're not, you're not buying that? No. Not only do they have to be, um, you know, Americans, but they've got to be from Arizona and Pinal County to boot. Oh, hey, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I want you to notice here why we have to be so careful about patriotism. Now, I don't mean that we ought not to be patriotic. Don't ever go there. What I'm saying is we do not allow patriotism to come into the church. Because he purchased for God with his blood from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And that's what we ought to be seeing in the church. That doesn't mean that we ought not be, I didn't say that we ought not to be patriotic to the country we live in. What did I say? We have to be careful about bringing that into the church because the church is not built on patriotism. Or just what? Or, or just for the boundaries of our country. Just for the boundaries of our country. That is referred to when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Be that same group. Yeah. Same idea, isn't it? Uh, uh, and same as what? You're, the same verse where? Uh, I, I didn't, but uh, don't have the... Well, I know where that that's found in Romans six twenty three. Yeah. So yeah, I don't have the reference, but um, yeah. And so you see, we we get a we go awry, and I get emails almost every day about you know, particularly Baptist preachers, uh, who believe that the the church must be patriotic. Well, individuals is one thing. We need to be. We need to uphold our country and the liberties. Zionism. It does. It oh, definitely so. And you know where I stand on that. I stand on that. Christians are to be live according to the law of their land. And that's if, we, if we do that, we are patriotic in, sure. in, in de facto. Yeah. That's, but you see what my point was, that we must not, that doesn't mean we can't have a patriotic song, but we've got to be really careful about letting that come in because patriotism can take over a church and destroy it. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Yeah, and that's according to what Caesar's thinking about it. You know, that's it's according to how he thinks about it. 
And, you know, there are things and responsibilities that we may have to control or to change or those kind of things. But that's not the church's business. And I'm, there is no one in this room, including Alex. And and I know this to be a fact. There is no one in this room that is as conservative and way beyond right, right, right wing than I am. There just isn't anybody. Ted is a left-wing liberal <laughs> next to me. Yeah, remember that little thing that we did? Yeah, that little test. Yeah, that little test just for a joke with our Gresham group. Yeah. And Ted was the left-wing liberal. Oh, <laughs> he just couldn't he, believe it. He couldn't believe that. <laughs> but he doesn't consider himself that at all. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no, no not no, at no. all. No. We'll have to remind him of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, he's... Uh, and anyway, he purchased... And I, I know that we're not to verse 9 yet, but I, I just really had to bring that up tonight. Because in verse 6, we have a lamb standing, and that lamb is the one who, uh, you know, they fell, they fall down before the lamb, and uh, he's worthy because he was slain as a lamb, not literally, not literally. He didn't go bad. No, he wasn't a literal lamb. It was symbolic. From the Old Testament, we understand the symbol. Lamb being the sacrifice. They understood it as a sacrifice. The lamb was the sacrifice. The lamb was the sacrifice. That's right. So we have a lamb standing as if slain, and it has seven horns. That's unusual. Seven eyes, and these seven eyes, and there's a little argument, and I don't know the answer to it. Uh, From my research, I don't know the difference here between whether it's the, uh, because Kai here, uh, the seven seven, um, horns and the seven eyes, both of which are the seven spirits of God, or whether it is the seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God. It's the and I. Yeah, it is Kai. So they have equal weight. So they have equal weight. Let's go and look at that, and we'll call that a night. Uh, that would be verse 6, Alex. All right. Having seven, having horns seven, and eyes seven. And chi, uh, the and is a chi, not a de. So it's not in contrast to, but it means that there's something equal here. Equal in number or equal in importance? 
and you see, I can't determine that. That is that's obvious. Okay, we know the number. So he could have just said seven horns and eyes. But he says seven horns and seven eyes, which, now let's go to see that word which. You see, and uh, um, and we're going to have to get that uh, broken down into the, um, that right, oh, you notice there, it's plural. Well, of course, it would be plural, see, that's why I've got a problem with this. Horns is plural, eyes is plural, but which could include both. See what I mean? Could please that horns and eyes, both of which are the seven spirits of God. You see my point? I don't know what the answer is. Well, the masculine is key, and so up in the relative. <clears throat> yeah, it's masculine plural, the hoy. Yeah. And it actually just means it's just the it's just the uh, the article, the. Yeah, that makes it. Oh, it says it's a pronoun. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. The uh, accent mark. That's what makes it a pronoun. Okay, so um, it is a pronoun, and and now let's look. Then is seven uh, are the are the horns. Masculine? Yeah, they're, ma oh, no, they're neuter. Okay. Now, so now we've got the answer. Thank you, Neil. See, uh, um, horns are, is neuter, and the, the which down there, the pronoun is masculine, and that agrees with then eyes. Eyes is con the concord between those two. That's right. So, that's something I had not been able to arrive at. The good point. That's see how fun it is. So it's then referring to the eyes are the um, seven spirits of God. So does that mean then that each eye is a separate entity in and of itself with a mind and a will? And doesn't say that. No, it doesn't say that. The seven spirits of God are the seven things that reflect the what of what God is and his eyes. Isn't God singular? And the, the spirit of God is uh, singular. Yeah. Make what? That statement about the seven spirits of God makes me think about the sheep. That sheet? In what way? Because this is the spirit of, maybe oh. not this sheet, but oh. the spirit of I sheet. Think you're talking about this sheet. That sheet. That sheet. Yeah, which I have. Yeah. Everybody should consider this to be their new Bible. <laughs> you do have that, don't you, Neil? Uh, oh, we're heading, we're digressing now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the scripture. Forgive me, one. <laughs> no, oh, no, that, that one. Yeah. This, this Spirit. one. Spirit of. Spirit. Yeah. I think Nolan wrote this on the board. Yeah, he did. He started off that way. 
and we're going to send that down to Neil. I don't have a I don't have a punch here. I don't have this either, David. You don't? David, how close do you think that that I mean, I wasn't just kidding. How close do you think that that is, that that, that, that coincides, your, you know, opinion of the, you know, meaning of that as far as spirit? Because this, says, this to that? Oh, I think it's... To the earth. It's what? It's to the earth. Yeah. It's forth unto, into all the earth. That's right. So they were made... All seven of them. So these things were made aware to men. Which are the eyes. So we got seven eyes which contain something about God that has force because the word there, pneumatai, pneuma, what is it? Um, yeah. Uh, pneumata, pneumata. Uh, is neuter, yeah. and uh, the eyes are masculine. See, see how there's no concord there, right. but they are. So this is the vehicle. This is the vehicle, not not a separate entity with its own will and mind, but it is the the vehicle that contains the eyes that see God, and God can see everything everywhere. Um, that's uh, that's how it uh, he's revealed, and that's how he knows who you are. Yeah, I think it's all in agreement. Okay, they are the seven spirits of God, and they are sent out. The seven eyes. The seven spirits. So if you're going to talk about God and a person having, I mean, and God with spirits and having seven spirits, which one is it that's going to be dealing with? Well, they're not persons at all. They're, they are simply the containment of what God is using to, to look at and to see and to gather evidence for, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth to look and to observe and to report back. Seven eyes. That's a great way to see the Spirit in this context. The Spirit is the all-seeing nature of God everywhere, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God. Uh, Well, our time is up. We'll go on to the next section. Any questions on this section? A lot going on, but it's pretty obvious. You know, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy at this point because we've already got an idea of symbolism. We've already got those ideas. And uh, the, the language then, once you realize that uh, that there is sim- symbolism in prophecy, and uh, now we're now we're going to focus on chapter five, on the Lamb. Uh, the idea of the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth is is the pre, as God has seen all, 
as far as the end, the judgment of the coming soon judgment of because of the opening of the seals and all that transpired. It's just his presence, like you said, then. I think so. Um, and it's just a I way to drive it to us. I think your added thought there is that it's specifically in this context, he's talking about what's going to happen yeah. to these people. These are the events that are going to happen to these people, and God is full, has full awareness of it because he has set out his seven eyes. And the idea of having eyes everywhere. Eyes everywhere. Through, really through the land. That's what he's, that's what he's describing. He's describing the land. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the story. That's, the, that's right. And the Lamb is, is who judges, according to Acts 17. Yeah. Okay, guys, anything else? Lot, um, yeah. Well, we didn't get, we didn't cover everything here, but you know, we we have to keep kind of moving on. Next week, we'll deal with verses seven on. Okay, Father, we are thankful uh, for those who have been here tonight, and for those who may be listening abroad. May our hearts be tuned in to the beauty of the text. And, and may that beauty have its impact on our memory and how we view uh, the things that we look at from this point on. May each one of us be committed to the truth. May we be on guard for our individual biases. In Jesus' name, amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.